Songezo Mapete on SAFM. Community Builder, that's the segment. Final conversation this evening. Kulisa Marks, 25th anniversary of reinventing lives of marginalized communities. This multi award winning non profit organization first registered in 97, Kulisa, which is Isizulu for Uplift, has been engrossed with the idea of reinventing the lives of marginalized communities in the country. And they are making, or rather, they are marking a milestone of a quarter of a century in existence. A little over two decades ago, Kulisa started in South African prisons to support the rehabilitation of young offenders to become productive members of society, and the organization has since evolved, evolved to communities to address issues inhibiting sustainable development. Let's learn more from the founder and CEO, Leslie Ann Fansel. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, and hi to everybody. Well, congratulations on, first of all, standing tall and standing the test of time. Many organizations who started in 97, particularly in your space, are probably a thing of the past now. You still stand and, more importantly, making a meaningful contribution to society. Please tell us about your work. Well, we started off, um, as you said, working with offenders at Leacorp Prison in 1997, and that was when we first introduced storytelling, um, still the very new in New South Africa, True Young Offenders, and it was based on African stories to help rekindle a sense of Ubuntu amongst these young offenders. And part of our intervention was listening to the stories of these young people. And um, that's when my life changed, is when I listened to the stories of the young people as to why they ended up um, actually committing offenses. We developed a philosophy, and, and that's don't ask somebody what they did, but what happened to them. And everything we do now Acudis is about looking at the, the triggers and the factors that, that lead people to making um, uninformed decisions and falling foul of the law. Knowing what you know about South Africa's uh, marginalized spaces and the community development projects that work and don't work, government interventions that come and fail, the strength or status of social stability what is the biggest challenge to this general development that we should be seeing in South Africa but are not? I mean, we are talking about inequality that is nowhere else seen in the world. Our hunger levels that much more pronounced in the wake of COVID-19. And also just the distribution of information, of resources, everything. South Africa is the perfect case study for all forms of inequality. How, how do we address that from your experience, where you are? Sure. You know, what you've, you've really encapsulated all the causal factors that lead to the hopelessness that we are spiraling um, downwards and downwards and downwards year after year. Things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And how do we tackle it? So the problems are really systemic. And if we are ever going to... Um, leverage any measurable, sustainable change. We, we need to get the community itself to tell us what their solutions to their problems are. The community wallow in this hopelessness. They see the, the corruption, the dysfunctionality. They live in the, in the environment where, this, where there's no services, where we, we are failing, the government is failing them, society is failing them. And, but they have the knowledge to be able to tell us how best to intervene, but it needs to be 
on a, on a multiple level where we have many different stakeholders coming together, addressing the problems that the community has given us in terms of their own challenges. So it, it, it's, it's decades of unlearning. It's decades of reconstructing. It's decades of having functionality, not only at grassroots level, but also in terms of government and services. But, you know, when, when we look at how how we have, and I'm talking about we, the government, society, has failed our communities, the promises, the, 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 the lack of services, it's, it, it really is extremely depressing. And over the past two and a half decades, things have become so much worse than when we started at the beginning. Can I just ask this question against particularly what you've said in terms of broader society's failure? How, how much of that failure rests with the expectation that all the society's problems can be solved by government? Or how much of that is the fault of government because of the promises the government had to make and continues in part to deliver and in part not to deliver around sort of the constitutional project, the entitlements to housing, to basic health care, to schooling in many instances, the, 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 the framing of the conversation of what one's rights are versus what one's responsibilities in ensuring the delivery of those rights and making those rights an instrument of progress. I hope my question is clear. In other words, where have people been sold a dummy? Where have people not realized that they equally have an obligation to themselves or to their communities, if ever that makes sense? Uh, totally. So there's two sides, or there, you've asked me two, two questions really. So in terms of responsibilities, we conducted surveys in six provinces with about 3,500 community members from all walks of life, and it was all about what would your best life look like. And, you know, by doing so, we got their ideal vision of, of what the best life would look like. We focused primarily through this on school-going children. And out of every school-going child, not one had been educated on the Constitution. So that's such a big problem because, you know, with that comes a total ignorance in terms of being able to have agency, go to local government, assert your rights, talk about, you know, where's the IDP, where's the money being spent, etc. So not being equipped and capacitated enough to, to go to local government and the councils and negotiate in a non-confrontational way, we end up with these hideous rights and where, you know, all the government's community centers are burnt down because it's not what the community wanted. The government makes assumptions, their backhands, you know, hospitals have been built that have never been used. So so there's that one side of it where the community has not been capacitated to actually take agency or have ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of it is that we all know about the corruption story and, and what's gone on. And I think with the rapid escalation and appointment of so many people who weren't capacitated when the new government came in to actually, you know, um, transition the country into a stable state, that 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 foundation is, is so has been has been so fragile that it's collapsed and we've plummeted underground as such. So we really and I, and and you know the government now right now I can't say there are many the government departments that we work with who are really really trying, but it's in the midst of such such um, decrepitude 
and and again with the government, where do you start to try to rebuild when there's no cohesion between most of the government departments? There, so many of them are doing the same things. There's there's no looking at, at synergy or aligned strategies. So you've got one government department doing HIV AIDS, this other one doing the same thing, and you end up with having ten visas in one month around the same topic. And all the money suddenly being spent on events and events instead of really talking to the community and saying, how can we collaborate with you? What is your dream? What's your vision? How can we look at our policies and align our policies to address mm. the real needs at grassroots level? I'll tell you what, um, I'm actually getting quite warm to this topic because it does address a lot of issues, more particularly as we move towards a new administration, certainly, I mean, with the politics of the day. And you touch some fundamental questions that we from time to time would be engaging. Ms. Leslie Anfonsholm, founder and CEO of Kulisa, may I please invite you back for more time? Unfortunately, I just don't have it now. No, no, of course. This conversation is worth having. But for now, let's just sort of cut the cake into 25 pieces in saying many happy returns for another 25. Thank you. But we've all got to eat the cake together. Okay, you can't eat one piece at a time. Thank you so much. Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much. That's the founder and CEO of Kulisa. Thanks for the indulgence, Greg. The time is 21. Sorry, the time is 22.01. Greg Hose at News.